if you look like five or 10 years ago at, at security tools, they were trying to solve security concern and who's the, who's the customer? That's the security guy. The security guy, and, and you need to keep him happy. You need to give a tool that basically alerts when something happens and give him the ability to fix it. But they, there is a shift in the world, right? Developers are starting to use the cloud. They have AWS, they have Microsoft, they, they use infrastructure as a code, uh, many tools, open source tools, and they are starting to get a lot of power. With that power comes the responsibility. And the responsibility yeah. is not, not to risk the organization. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? This episode is proudly sponsored by Checkpoint Software, a leading provider of cybersecurity solutions to over 100,000 corporate enterprises and governments globally. Checkpoint Infinity's portfolio of solutions protects enterprises and public organizations from fifth-generation cyber attacks with an industry-leading catch rate of malware, ransomware, and other threats. To learn more about Checkpoint and its Infinity portfolio, visit Checkpoint.com. Today, I have two very special guests, as always, Idan Didi and Bipin Gajbia. Bipin, did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, that's, that's pretty correct. Pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> I am notorious for butchering last names on this podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. I practice. <laughs> uh, excellent. Cool. So Idan, tell me, who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Sure. So I'm, I'm Idan Didi. I'm uh, one of the founders of a startup called Spectral. Spectral is basically a code scanner, everything cool. around shift left security, basically scan the code for a developer mistake that can cause a security breach. And we, we started the startup about three years ago uh, because things we saw in the market. And about a year ago, we joined Checkpoint. And now we are basically the checkpoint solution for code security. So I'm very proud to be part of a huge company, great company for security, but still doing the the startup that I love. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Why do you do it though? So I started because I love startups and a friend actually came to me and said, listen, I have a great idea. You have to hear this. The the CEO of, of Spectral came to me. He basically built the engine of Spectral and he explained to me I was new. To be honest, I was new to, to cyber at the time, uh, but he needed somebody who will, lead, who will take a little in the, the business side. And I started learning about uh, the gaps. And back at the time, three years ago, this was a huge gap that we noticed is that developers do a lot of amazing stuff also in the teams I was managing and helping and working with. But the thing is, they will make a mistake. And the thing with developer mistake, can be very, very painful. So what we wanted to build was a tool that developers would love and will also 
prevent those security mistakes. And and when I started meeting companies, when we started here in Israel, we started meeting companies and, and the, the 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 feedback we got was was amazing. Like uh, basically we started at April 2020. If you remember that was the first wave of the of COVID. Nobody was doing business back at time. Everybody was closing the doors. Nobody wanted to go out of the house. But still, when we were talking about our idea and Spectra, everybody was listening. Everybody got excited. Uh, we got huge logos within a couple of months from starting. We raised a lot of money from VC. So everything was going very, very fast. And I needed to learn what to do and how to sell it and how to talk to customers very, very fast. And I think for me, that was the reason I was doing it. The reason is that it's exciting to build something from scratch. It is exciting to help people get something they never got before. And now, now there are other products maybe, but two years ago, we were completely, I think we were the first in many of the things we were doing. We gave values that nobody had. And uh, it was super exciting to figure out what people need and then to, to deliver it. And I think that's the bottom line. And sorry for the long answer. No, no, <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly why, it. <laughs> that's why I'm doing it. And that's why it's so exciting. Well, you, you unraveled a lot there that we're about to dig into, but let's throw it, let's throw it to Bippin. Bippin, who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Yeah. So uh, I'm Bippin Gajbie. Um, I, I'm in application security for the last 12 years. Currently, I'm working at Stripe as a security engineer, as well as like a security partner, part of a security partnership team. Um, I've been in AppSec for all, all my professional career. Uh, started off with consulting, uh, gone into the product company after that, worked for Oracle, Salesforce, and, and now working at Stripe. And why do I do it? Because I like it. I think security is very much fun. Um, I started with doing pen testing and like doing breaking things was pretty pretty fun and uh, pretty exciting. So that got me hooked into that. And then the more I learned about it, the more uh, I, I got uh, carried into it. So yeah, I love I, I love what I do. Uh, it's, it's definitely interesting for sure, and uh, it has like different challenges every day. Uh, being a security engineer here every week is not same. So I like that excitement. That's a very common theme that I hear on the podcast, excitement of things changing, dyna- the dynamic nature of the industry, challenges, breaking things, building them, building them back up. Now, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to, to understand what keeps you both up at night. Up, and I'm assuming, Idan, that what keeps you up at night is building startups and your boys. But <laughs> apart from that, tell me a little bit about what are your main challenges right now uh, over at Spectral in your role. So, first of all, it, 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 we are still in a startup mode, even now at part of Checkpoint. So we, we are still, we have the same organic small team that is building stuff. And I think what is happening in the market today, uh, for the last few months, you know, the, the economic macro changes, everybody are trying to save money, everybody are trying to get everything in one tool. Uh, and I think that kind of change the the strategy that we have as a startup if as a startup we wanted to be best at one thing now we kind of try to be to be good at many things and the the balance between the two is super challenging because you you keep it's not an easy right you can't be best in everything you need to balance you need to decide what to do you need to decide 
how you're going to uh, go to the next thing, how you're going to get the next customer. And obviously the, the goals are getting much bigger. We've been growing X5 pretty much every year and we need to continue doing so. And it's very, very challenging. And it seems like it's becoming more and more challenging, especially in today's market. So I think solving that is still something we, you know, for me, it's a huge challenge. And every month is a, is a challenge. How do we get the next customers? How do we get to the, the, the next uh, uh, type of, of, of products and, and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. How about you, Bipin? Yeah, I have, for me, uh, the things I'm responsible for. So anything, there's a new breach coming, there's a new uh, security vulnerability kind of came out or like a zero day attack. Um, those things definitely keeps me up at night. Um, but anything which I'm responsible for or in terms of security um, that could have a customer impact or that could have um, a, a material impact or financial impact. Um, that's I, I, have, I have to ask about this because this is really interesting for me because I know that yeah. obviously Stripe is a financial organization. You have a lot of important information and, and app, application security is probably one of the most important things in the company. And you are responsible for you know, such a large uh, amount of it and the risks are keep coming, right? Every week there is a new bridge, there is a new challenge, there is a new article about something that can happen. It's, it's like an never-ending game that you need to play. Yeah. How do you choose what to do first? How do you choose to, how do, how do you balance between the challenges? Uh, because it seems to be basically impossible. Every couple of days there is something new. And those things, it's really hard to say, at least in my perspective, it's really hard to say what is like super critical. We have to, to stop everything and look at it. And what is, okay, let's continue. We'll fix this. Yeah, I can't go more detail on that. But uh, I mean, that, that at the end of the day, we are in business of minimizing risks and not, not eliminating risk. So we do whatever we do to minimize the risk. Uh, the impact. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with uh, everything that's going on. Uh, one day is something, next day it's something else. Um, but does it really affect you? Uh, that's an important question. And what, what's the severity of it? Uh, when I was taking a look and preparing for this conversation, I some a phrase stuck out stuck out to me. It was really stood out to me. It was called developer first security. Now, anything with a first at the end makes me very excited <laughs> because audience first, but. What is developer first security and why? So I, I, I will try to answer this and I, I would say, I would say this. So if you look like five or 10 years ago at, at security tools, they were trying to solve security concern and who's the, who's the customer? That's the security guy, the security guy. And, and you need to keep him happy. You need to give a tool that basically alerts when something happens and given the ability to fix it. But they, there is a shift in the world, right? Developers are starting to use the cloud. They have AWS, they have Microsoft, they, they use infrastructure as a code, uh, many tools, open source tools, and they are starting to get a lot of power. And with that power comes the responsibility. And the responsibility yeah. is not, not to risk the organization. And when, when they were trying to use the, the same tools, basically it wasn't developer first or it wasn't developer friendly. 
it was very actually very annoying for developer to use those tools they were super slow they have the dashboard we all know and and not it's not the developer user experience that they used to and and tools start and I think actually uh, there are examples before spectrum that there are great examples of company who started the uh, focusing on the developer experience and and making sure that the tool is also friendly for to developers. So I'm not sure if it's like developer fair for developer friendly because it's also the tool needs to be also friendly for for security people, not just developers. So both security are important and developer important. But I think that that uh, the thing to be the uh, UX uh, user experience that is really friendly for developer and the developers will feel that they are getting value. It's not annoying for them, etc. Oh, got to unmute myself. But well, what are kind of some of the features that um, resonate with developers versus uh, the traditional security practitioner? You're, you know, you're, you're talking about yeah. speed, right? You're talking, you're talking yeah, about cloud, so but... I, I would love to, to hear also what, what beeping... Uh, yeah, uh, think of... the developer first is is kind of a, uh, a change in, in the security practices uh, from the recent years, from going to more active to being proactive and giving developers, empowering developers to take own the security, uh, own the issues, fix the issues, find vulnerabilities very early on. And we that's why like the, the, we go into DevOps cycle and then we uh, kind of bake security into the into the into the pipeline so that you you kind of catch the issue very early on. And developers are not waiting for security engineers to get an approval or get like uh, they can push code to production and take take care of security by themselves and own it. So I'm going to interject here, if I sure. may, um, because we, you, what you said so, kind of alarms me. Developers are in charge of security. That alarms me a little bit. Yeah, like, they security, they're not fully in charge, but right. the shift is that they should be feel empowered to take decisions and there should be tools in place, there's automation in place where we catch these issues uh, when, as, it, as the writing code. So the whole idea of shift left is you put security, like in let's say like five, seven years, 10 years back, you used to do pen testing, you used to do post-production work, you do like postcard scanning after the thing is already running in production. But with the shift left is that you are doing that as soon as you push the code, you do the scanning, you do, you check for the automated test cases. You see for like regression issues or security issues, and that's the whole shift in uh, in a mindset, as well as um, the the part about giving developer more uh, empowering developer with the more security expertise and knowledge is that it is the scale of the development that's happening right now is is a lot. So they don't wanna if if they go through the traditional route, there has to be a security engineer get involved. They have to review things. Uh, they have to approve things or, or reject things and give the recommendation. In this case, we are still involved, but more as a um, as an advisory role and uh, more as like a, a, a educational uh, teaching developers. The, the way we the way we play. looked at it in Spectral is that, like like you said, the developer needs to be the owner. So let's say, for example, the developer is working in GitHub and maybe using Jenkins CI, etc. Yeah. So you should be able to solve the issues there. Yeah. 
And in GitHub, it doesn't need to go to a dashboard, doesn't need to go to another tool, etc. Everything, all the alerts, all the ability to picture is all there. But at the same time, those, uh, the information is also sent to a dashboard or another tool or, or another visibility, better view that the security owner is getting. So yeah. the way we thought that this is actually, we said, okay, the, the, the developer is owning security has the ability to get an alert fix an issue in a very quick way as part of his workforces in GitHub or GitLab or whatever he used to working. If he's working with Slack, he should get the alert in Slack. If yeah. he's uh, pushing the code in Jenkins, he, he needs to get the etc. But in the same time, an alert is sent to the dashboard. The security owner knows that, okay, there is an issue. It was fixed. It wasn't fixed. It was skipped, whatever it is. And this way, it, there is a balance between the ownership. Uh, this, yeah, uh, totally agree with that. Yeah, they have to like right balance. It's, it's not like they they are fully responsible, uh, but as at any point of time, they are the ones who are gonna fix that issue or uh, right push the code. Uh, so that's the whole idea. What are some of the ways though that um, you know? Because I can imagine that there might be some barriers or challenges on the developer side in terms of. Um, you know, implementing security initiatives, there's some maybe knowledge gap there, if I may say. What are some of the prescriptive ways, you know, security practitioners can help those developers kind of catch up in order to be, you know, the champions of security in in shift left? Um, Idan, maybe there are some examples um, that you could maybe explain or kind of steps that you can explain to the audience today um, that they could take away from this conversation. Yeah, so I think uh, I'll try to answer, but uh, I'll also say something additional around it. So I think developers today they kind of understand the risk when they when they work, they they read about this, and nobody wants to be the guy that uh, caused the breach. But in many cases, they are lacking the the attention, right? They, they, everybody works for their KPI, right? Their KPI to develop fast. They need to develop yeah. fast, and and and, and so they know that okay, if I'm using the, the the wrong open source, that's not good. But I don't have the time. I don't have the time to check what the open source I should do. So I know that I'm supposed to use a vault when I'm using secrets, but I don't have the time to check right, what exactly the best practice says and how to do it, etc. So they just write code. And so I think there is, there is in the back of that, there is the, the, the knowledge, but what we need to do is kind of extract it. We need to provide them an easy way when they walk to tell them, okay, guys, uh, listen, there is something you, you you chose the wrong open source, please, instead of this one, please use this one. Or uh, please know that there is a, a secret or a password that you just expose to the organization before you continue, just uh, make it talk. So basically, what, what's the best practice here? So the best practice is when the developer is doing the, the commit or the, the writing the code, if it's in the idea or wherever it works, you want to give him this, this have moment that there is something you need to do a little bit different, but without annoying him. And the annoying is, is, is important because I, earlier I was talking about a lot of, of old generation tool, and one of the things they had was a lot of false positive. The developers was really annoyed by getting many things that they need to check it because they had so many things to check. At the end of the day, they didn't have time to actually develop, and they were turning off the tools 
And they said, okay, I know that there is some risk, but I don't have the time to actually start investigating everything. So the tool, the tool that, 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 that the organization should choose is, is tools that at least 95% of the things that they are alerting things are things that actually the developer can choose. And by the way, this actually changes between one organization to another. Because some organization can say, uh, and we met, we work with a very large bank, for example, and they said we want to make sure that no PCI and PII information is in the code. And that's not a regular use case. Some Most organizations don't check for, for uh, PCI and PII information in the code. But this is because this is a bank, they was they cared about PCI information and thought this is the use that they want to prevent. So, the, the, what are we checking can can change between one organization to another? The the level of of uh, willingness to get to receive risk is also can change between one organization to another. Uh, but the 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 best practice is actually to to deliver this knowledge with lawful positive in a fast way. To the to the developer in a way that he can fix and and also just that's the last point we really need to tell him how to fix if we just told the developer there is a problem yeah. now go and investigate how to fix it that that's not enough because that's that you are wasting the developer time he gets annoyed he loses the tension he will he will uh, not use the tool so we need to either give him a playbook or a couple of clicks. Click here, and this is how you fix the issue. Uh, and this, so these are the the most important things if you want to do it in a way that developer will adopt the tool. Yeah, and that's when the security, security teams comes in place, where they provide the right guidance, right call to action for fixing issues, and not just give a generic guidance and provide like right steps to do it, or like uh, have kind of a, a automation in place to trigger them that this this is. This is wrong, or this you have used this library or that library, or you have we are making or like without going much into details, but um, and anything that uh, comes out as maybe secrets or or anything which could potentially lead to a vulnerability um, at the right like right point in time guidance is is very important. Mm-hmm. Bipin, what are kind of some of um, measures of success that you you have to kind of report on from from your role in in regards to you know developer first security in, initiatives? You think oh, it, you can look at like historical data how how your uh, program or security program has matured. Um, there's different sources or different signals uh, you can look at. Uh, like let's, let's say your bug bounty program. Can look at if there is increase in vulnerabilities or decrease in vulnerabilities uh, submitted from researchers. Um, we all the companies I'm sure still did do pen testing uh, from third party that tells tells you whether uh, is whatever you're doing early on um, is working or not. And um, in post production, uh, we are scanning the code, you're still finding those issues again and again. That's definitely looks like an opportunity to build a library or like a build a framework around it and kind of provide a paved road to developers. So it's 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 like an iterative process over over a few months or years to figure out whether this is working. And you're always constantly tweaking things. Um, there's there's no perfect security, so you always have to go back, change few things, change approach, or um, how how do you choose where uh, where to focus? 
right? If there, there are so many risks and the risks are changing. How do you choose, for example, which tool you buy, which tool you use open source, or which you say, okay, I'm not going to invest money in this. How do you choose in the area that you are in charge of? How do you choose which, which, in which areas to focus uh, most? Give this, uh, I'll give an example. You're really seeing the trend, where the trends are going. So if, if your issue is, is more in handling data versus uh, insecure cloud configuration versus, uh, let's say, error handling or authentication authorization. So, And when you say trends, you mean yeah. the, the internal inside the organization or stuff that is happening in the industry? It's, yeah, it's a combination of like multiple things. Uh, so when you measure the, the, the security posture, uh, it's, it's not just one, one thing that you consider. Um, there's a whole set of things that comes into play and have different scores um, that um, that decides like where do you stand or which out of which this you have like you have ten different products which one is 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 at what stage and what are the gaps there um, regarding like vendors and toolings it's is totally depends on um, what are like biggest challenges you have and um, where do you, what are the existing vendors, like what are the existing tools are capable of doing and are there anything good out there which can do a better job uh, much more efficiently and with all all DevSecOps is everything has to be very developer friendly and uh, there has to be kind of a smooth integration uh, with all the uh, all the DevSecOps tools or like DevOps, DevOps pipeline. And what, what do you think is the most uh, recent trends that you see right now happening? Not necessarily also, not necessarily in your organization, but also in general. What do you think is becoming more and more interesting right now? I think, yeah, I think um, since like the, the velocity of like pushing code is, is so much faster, uh, there's release going on uh, every every major company, every week, every, every day, sometimes. Um, where there's a lot of things can go unnoticed. I think when we started Spectral, it was like three years ago, we felt that the, 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 the issue we started from was actually secret. So keys, token, password, all those yeah. things was something we felt is completely unprotected, right? There, are some, there were some tools for infrastructure of the code, there were some tools for, for, um, for SCA, for open source vulnerabilities, but there mm-hmm. was nothing good for, for secrets other than open source, which is obviously it's nice, but it's not, not enough for, for large organization. So we really focused on that problem. And the interesting part is that even now, three years ago, I still feel that maybe this is the most painful part because this is like getting an AWS key outside. That's, that's huge. That's, that's a huge problem. Like it's not, there, there's no, additional layer of defense, right? You have a key outside, somebody has uh-huh. that key, you can hack to your database. That's, that's... Yeah, a lot of like big breaches happen for like small, small mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I think it's very crazy. I think that's really crazy that, that this is not a solved problem yet. That it's still, you still need a tool and you need, still need tools like Spectral to, to scale for those secrets. And, and uh, I know that many of the companies that we talk to have teams 
that are trying to mitigate this and trying to make sure that those there are no secrets and a dedicated team just for these problems. Yes. And it's crazy because in my opinion, before I got into this area, I thought that like this is crazy. Why would somebody put a secret in the, in the code? Like why would you even go there? It's supposed to be obvious that it's not supposed to happen, but still it happens every day. We see it honestly in every company. We meet, it happened at least once. And when I say it happened, it's just not internally. It's like bad stuff happened, just that sometimes it go, it went without, you know, nothing. Uh, it, it didn't go outside. Nobody noticed, but those things happened and uh, are being, uh, and sometimes being used by bad actors. Yeah, I, mean, I totally agree with the open source uh, part of it. There's so much uh, code has been uh, used and reused and from the open source libraries that you don't really write your own. And then if there's a vulnerability in that, um, it's hard to identify and like fix that and really figure out like, are, are we even using that library or like you're using that function or not? So going to that that function level um, or like that line of code is kind of sometimes tricky. Yeah. Are there any like juicy worst findings you've seen when it comes to developers stealing from open source code libraries with vulnerabilities? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can't touch on that, but like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I can talk only about stuff that happened in the newspaper. Well, there is a, like an Israeli, very, so the stuff we found, okay, maybe I'll tell a story, but when we started, one of our first customers, we, we were a new company, we didn't have any customer, we were starting to go into, into companies and uh, telling them that we can do this, that this uh, finding secrets and stuff. And they said, okay, this is nice, but you know, we don't have money, it's not the right time, you are a startup. And we told them, listen, guys, you know what? And this was a, a Nasdaq public company. And we told them, you know what, let, let give us, we'll scan your, your out, your uh, public, uh, code, only your public code. If we find something interesting, we get you as a customer. And they said, okay, go for it. It took us less than 24 hours. And we came back to them with a the report and we said, listen, guys, this is everything you have. This is the database. This is the database keys. And, and they said, okay, okay. Where do we sign? And that was the first logo we got in, in, in the master <laughs> company. And, uh, uh, it's it, it's a startup, you know. This is an amazing moment, right? The mm-hmm. first money, the first uh, company, the first U.S. company. This is, every moment like this is like mind blowing. Yeah, amazing. Well, we're heading towards the end of the session. I would do want to give you, Idan, and Bipin some more airtime to ask each other any other questions you may have to extract insights that you may need to do your job better. So please feel free. Yeah, I would learn to learn. I would love to learn more about uh, what you're doing. For is are you building a source code scanner, or is is more of an SCA tool? So, so basically, what we we did with Spectre, we built an engine. The engine can scan any type of code. We we basically look at code as text. So, it, anything textual, we will scan it when we can find issues. And when we started, we started from. Um, and the, okay, before so the, the, the vision is to scan for everything that can cause a security breach. That's the focus. We scan any type of code, wherever it resides, whatever coding language that you're using, and we scan it for 
potential security breaches. And we started from secrets. And I mentioned this, so secrets, token, password, all of that. The second layer that we added was infrastructure as a code. So if you're using infrastructure code, Kubernetes, Terraform, even some kind of log system, we will scan the configuration, make sure that it is uh, done by best practices. And the third layer we just uh, we added a few months ago was open source vulnerability. So if you're using Logs4j or any other open source that is not safe, we will tell you. And as we are part of Checkpoint now, and this is obviously available as part of the, 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 the Checkpoint dashboard and everything, but also as a standalone tool, but the idea is that all the other capabilities that are relevant to scanning code are basically starting to become part of, of Spectre. So the, the example I, ju I just gave, the, the open source vulnerabilities was actually part of the, another tool in Checkpoint, and now it's also part of Spectral. So Spectral is an engine that can scan for multiple use cases, multiple issues in the code. Mm -hmm. And as, as we talked about it, developer-friendly, meaning the, we integrate with whatever tool the developer are using. We give the alert in Slack and pager duty. And the idea was that on one end, we give the developer the ability to keep the experience that they have when they are developing code in, in whatever tools they're using. They are getting the alert there. Yeah. They know what to solve and they know how to solve it. But you as the owner of security, you get, first of all, visibility, which before you probably didn't have. So you get this nice birthday view dashboard with all the groups in the organization. In each group, you see what repos exist and what repos was scanned. Yeah. And what is an issue? And when you see an issue, you can say, you can allocate it to a team, you can see trend, you can, you can make sure that your organization is protected, but without needing to actually go every day to people and say, please fix it, please fix it. <laughs> that is the day, like we said, they are the owners. So, yeah, so, so the big, big talking point of all the source code scanner is false positive. So, yeah, every, every tools out there spits out a, a ton of false positive. How do you how do you make it uh, more efficient and like reduce so, that? Yeah, so so we did we did two main things. First of all, very 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 strong research team here in Israel. People you know from the army and stuff. They, they, this is what we do. We basically reverse engineer the type of software that developers can build and then or, or can use and then we build the detector based on that it's not just looking for random string of letters or something like that it's actually yeah, yeah. reverse engineering all those mistakes and building more and more detectors and on top of that we then machine learning uh, models based on the scanning public code and we combine the, the machine learning with the research to get very very low false positive but on top of that, the second thing we understood when we started helping loud customers is that one of the ways to reduce those false positives is to be able to support different use cases. Because when we talk about false positive, one person can look at something and say, this is a terrible false positive, and one, another person can say, this is something I'm interested to know. So what we did, we enabled, when you run Spectre, you can run Spectre in multiple uh, ways. You just add a flag like this. For example, if you are the security person, you have a, a command that you run. And if you're a developer, you run a little bit different command. And if this is an audit, you run a, diff a little bit different command. You just add the flag. Yeah. Of, uh, reporting side of things. Yeah. If, and if you, if you go a little bit more technical on 
is it like rule based uh, scanning or is it is it like you're scanning binary or you're looking at runtime code like so or this is, is, a, this is a binary file so this is a binary file you download to your to your machines or your cloud uh-huh. and it will scan locally your entire code base uh, okay. so this is just a binary file you run it's a spectral scan it will scan uh, statically with a static code scanner that will scan all the code uh, that we write uh, on your machine or cloud. Okay. Uh, and by the way, that, that's another thing that... I'm sorry, go <laughs> I, I was saying that this is actually another thing which is unique is the fact that we run all our scans locally. Right? We, we, we Obviously, one of the customers we work most with is financial organization. And you know that they don't want they don't want a vendor to store their code. They don't want the vendor to check their code. Basically, I could tell you, send me your code to my servers. I'll check if there is an issue and I will tell you. And instead of that, we provide you with our scanner and you run it locally. All the scan, all the data remains on your premise. And that was something we saw that is very important. And that also helped us not being responsible for our customers' code. We just give them the tool. They run it locally. They run it on premise and they get everything locally. And by the way, thanks to that, we were able to get the ISO 27001 and, and SOC 22 very, very fast because we, you know, the structure of the tool is mm-hmm. unique in that way. So I think binary, I think Veracode also does the binary scanning, as if I remember correctly. Right. Yeah, but we are, we are different than Veracode because they they search for everything which is SAS, right? They they check for multiple types of, of SAS issues and that potentially can mean that the tool will have a lot of false positive. Maybe it might be a little bit slow. Spectral is, I think today, it's like the fastest code scanner in the world. But we don't do SAS. We don't check so for... The secrets reduction... Primarily. Yeah, 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 secret detection okay. and, and infrastructure of the code and, and, okay. and the open source all of it. Don't all the things that are focused, not all the SaaS area. Yeah, because once you get into SaaS, there's uh, so much uh, over there, like ocean. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there is another tool in Checkpoint, by the way, that can help you with SaaS, but that's not what we wanted to focus in Spectral. We, because it's a red ocean, because we believe that there are many tools that you can use to do that, and we wanted to go to other areas uh, that are more concerning. Excellent. Any other questions, Idan, for Bipin before we sign off and uh, uh, give us our last thoughts here? Maybe I'll just say that I, I hope that this session uh, got people that are not familiar with the understanding why building or using a tool that uh, is developer-friendly is so important. I think if you are using something which is not developer friendly, and it doesn't to be doesn't have to be spectral, but you really need to be to understand that using a tools that are developer friendly is critical to have the the organization protected, and this will enable you to get uh, people inside the organization using the tool, protecting the, the the organization, and and making sure that everything is is done in in the right way. And we have a lot of content about it. We also have open source tools that we offer. We, we really are anything uh, that we can do in order to educate the industry 
the developer of Trust is so important. I really recommend to, to use it and enjoy it. And obviously, we are here to help. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining the call today. It was such a pleasure. You are always welcome back to the show. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it was great, great talking to you guys. All righty. Well, thank you so much. This has been another episode of Audience First. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.